Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, my titans, warlords, enforcers, and all my new listeners to your Friday Creepy Tales episode. I have a special episode for you as well, with two poems written by two of my Patreon supporters. And I am stoked to have the opportunity to narrate both these poems. Our first poem is titled Cascading by Tea Time Drinker 1, capturing the emotion of sorrow, melancholy, and loneliness in written form. And I would say successfully so. Contrary to the nature of the content, I loved reading and narrating this tale. Thank you so much, Tea Time Drinker 1. Looking forward to more poems you have on offer, and will be replying to your email regarding your poem. And our second poem is titled, The Little Blue Baby by Paige Kramer. And goodness what a read. Based on real events, and exceptionally well written. A poem about a ghost child and, well, you'll have to find out. Both of these poems were written excellently. And I'm not surprised, because my listeners and supporters are always very talented. Thank you both for sending them through, and I hope I do them justice. Your next set, though, are two creepy tales titled The Plug, set in a dystopian universe of death, destruction, and virtual reality, and The Hedge Witch of Harrowick Woods, written by the Vespers Bell, a tale about magic, sex, and discovery. Disclaimer, the second tale does have adult content, so please, careful for those around you with little ears. Now turn the lights off, the sound up, and let's jump right on in. Cascading by Tea Time Drinker 1 Pen in hand, contemplating, melancholy, incomplete. Isolated I submit to sadness, choking as my hopeless tears release. I close my eyes as the ink and paper meet. The sky is solemn, still and quiet, a platform of grey and white. Cloud formations taking form. Out the window I see her plight. Nature weeping, a grievous sight. Alas, the morning grows darker. The wicked weather stopping time. Strands of life from its bleeding heart are drops of ether and so sublime. Warm and contented, unlike mine. Why can't I stop writing poems of desire? What is it that I hope to comprise? To find you unexpectedly, could that even transpire? You may have been there, but I think I closed my eyes. The day progresses, the beat goes on. Thunderous spoons, closeted screams. The eurythmic sounds from my radio are too honest and not what I need. It pulls me under, making it hard to breathe. Cascading emotions, unruly and free. Adrift, I float ahead. Sorrow as deep as the open sea. I'm only hanging on by a thread, drowning. But it's just in my head. The rain pours down, endless buckets of despair. The chill in the air takes its toll. The heater hums my forlorn song. 
in perfect pitch with the reaping of my soul. Lack of love and no self-worth swallow me whole. Maybe you called out to me, but I didn't hear. I know that you've not heard mine. Maybe you weren't sure or I wasn't clear, but they have gone unanswered for some time. Alone in my room, pen in hand, contemplating. I wish these thoughts in my head would take a break. They're continually impertinent and so damn frustrating. I close my eyes. The Little Baby Blue by Paige Kramer Little Baby Blue, mouth agape, crying for help, help me escape. The man down the hall is coming, stepping loudly and manically humming. Little baby blue, wrapped in red. I found out later, he's already dead. His mum couldn't help that dreary day, when all the happiness drained away. With deadly poison, he laced the tea, killing his wife. Now where could his son be? One, maybe two, he wasn't that old. But burden he was, till his body lay cold. His baby boy, he strangled to death, until he turned blue and drew his last breath. He slowly dragged their limp bodies along, while he continued to hum his creepy song. In the attic, he dropped them with a thud. Without a trace, there wasn't any blood. He ripped up the floorboards and stuffed them in, covering them with insulation, to never be seen again. He built a wall to cover the entrance, hoping to hide their very existence. When we bought the house, we met the sick man. He told us we should move in as quick as we can. We thought this was odd, but we moved in soon and found that the man quickly met his doom. He died a week later of unknown causes, leaving his possessions in old worn boxes. All moved in, I watched cartoons on TV, but soon I looked over to a baby staring at me. He was dressed in red, and his face was blue. He looked up at me, and soon I knew. Something was wrong. My blood ran cold. His clothes were rotting, covered with mold. He crawled to the laundry room and looked back at me, before absorbing into the ceiling. How could that be? I screamed and cried for my mum to save me, terrified from seeing that little blue baby. I ran to the kitchen, and I was a mess. My mum picked me up with the situation to assess. She took me around for me to see that nobody was there but her and me. Later came the horrible night terrors of feeling, the pain of the houses past that left my head reeling. The night terrors continued until we moved away, leaving my poor grandma wanting us to stay. I would come back to visit each time worse than the last, hearing whispers of a woman telling me the past. I've been poisoned. Someone saved my baby boy. I wish they would find someone else to annoy. The more I stay away from that terrible place, the less the former residents kept up their pace. I still wonder if the little baby blue will ever find peace or his poor mother. But finally, I have, at least.
The Plug He slid the wine glass across the table. The familiar sound of the glass gently scraping on the wooden table, bringing him a sense of comfort and anticipation. He swirled the wine in the glass, watching as the beautiful ruby liquid whirled softly. He paused and watched the viscous liquid fall back into a smooth, neat line. Little tendrils of wine dripping down the sides of the glass. Taking a deep breath in through both his nose and mouth, he savoured the distinctive smoky notes of his favourite Malbec. Ready, he lifted the glass to his lips and awaited the sensations and tastes to dribble in with the wine. Everything went dark, and everything about him went away. He was alone in the dark. Startled and aggrieved, he reached blindly ahead of him until his fingers located the cold metal of the round button. He pressed it, fuming. He felt the pod he was lying in roll out, and the lid opened. Bright light scolded his eyes. He pulled himself upright and stepped out of the pod, indignant, furious. What on earth happened? I paid for two hours of simulation. That definitely wasn't... He trailed off. In front of him stood a gasping, panting woman who was hurriedly unplugging all of the other pods. They're almost here. They broke through the barricades. They're past the soldiers and they'll be here soon. Run! Get out of here! Hide! He looked at her in disbelief, uncomprehending. She continued to unplug the rest of the pods as more and more occupants started getting up, looking as confused as he felt. Get out! Find somewhere safe! Save yourselves! They're almost here! Despite his resistance, understanding sank in. They were here. Fear bloomed in his heart. No one would be left alive. He knew. They were thorough and they were merciless. All about him, people began to panic. Voices raised in hysteria, bodies shoving and pushing to get to the door. Some were calling their loved ones. People were running, fleeing to perceived safety. He stood there, unmoving, taking it all in. Then slowly he turned back to the pod. He picked up the plug that lay listlessly on the ground and pushed it back into the socket. He stepped back into the pod, lay down, and pressed the button. The lid closed over him and the pod slid back into its chamber. He took another sniff of the red wine that appeared before him and took a sip. The Hedgewitch of Harrowick Woods My name's Charlotte, but I usually go by Lottie, since my last name is Webb. I'm not embarrassed about it, though. I actually love spiders. I wear spider jewellery and I even have a few spider tattoos, but I like to minimise people commenting on my name as much as I can. Sometimes a name can tell you a lot about a person, but sometimes they can be misleading. For instance, I have, for financial reasons, recently moved in with my childhood friend, Alice Faircroft. Now, based on nothing more than her name, where would you assume Miss Alice Faircroft lives? Somewhere fancy, right? An old British manor house, perhaps? Alas, the Faircroft estate is naught but a single wide trailer in the Somber Creek Trailer Park. To be fair, it's a nice trailer park. There's a perimeter of trees all around it, lots of trees inside, 
a park centered around the eponymous Somber Creek, and it's right beside a motel with a gas station and a diner. Alice has lived there with her mother her whole life, and for the past couple of years or so, I think with her boyfriend, Jack Ashbourne. Since the trailer only has two bedrooms, I sleep on a couch, or the couch, since it's the only one in the living room. Despite this couch being only 20 feet away from two horny 20-somethings who bang every chance they get, and surrounded by neighbors that do not strictly abide by their park's no loud noise after 9pm rule, I never had any difficulty sleeping there until last night. I think it was around 3am, when I was awoken by what sounded like a cross between a roar and a howl from the woods across the highway. Coyotes and neighbors' dogs are the only things that howl around here, and this sounded nothing like either of those. It sounded almost like a person, only feral and crazed. But that wasn't the weirdest thing about it though. The really weird thing, the thing that really freaked me out, was that it triggered my synesthesia. It gave me these images of a maiden goddess in a sacred grove, of a witch's sabbath, of a portal to the underworld. I've had synesthesia my whole life, or at least I thought I did, but I never experienced anything like that before. I thought that maybe the fact that I was still half asleep and that the sound was so strange was what had caused the intense vision, but the experience really left me rattled and I wasn't able to get any more sleep that night. The next day, Jack, Alice and I were sitting around outside their trailer drinking some local craft beer that had been part of Jack's payment for his last gig. Jack's a very, very minor local celebrity. And when we're not under lockdown, he plays a few seats a week at various dives around the county. I think he also has an album on Spotify and maybe a channel on YouTube or something. Even though I'm pretty sure he only makes enough money to pay for his Mustang, Alice and her mum treat him like a rock star and seem convinced it's only a matter of time before they're rich. It also doesn't hurt that he's insanely hot and perpetually shirtless, so I guess it's not that weird they don't mind putting him up. And he's more successful than I am, at any rate, so I'm in no position to judge. Uh, hey, did either of you hear that fucked up howling coming from the woods last night? I asked, staring off warily in the direction of the forest. Howling? Sorry, no. I didn't hear anything, Alice said. It was probably just the Cody's though. It's springtime, so the boys are fighting over the girls, and the girls are getting a much-needed pounding. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't Cody's. Not even Cody's having sex, I insisted. The strange vision the sound that had given me was still fresh in my mind and was thankfully keeping me from visualizing a coyote orgy. I think it was a person, like someone doing some kind of shamanic ritual or something, I don't know. It's kind of freaked me out. I bet what you heard was the green man, Jack claimed, gesturing with his beer can exactly as you'd expect someone about to start rambling bullshit. He's a primeval nature spirit. He was first summoned by a settler witch centuries ago to protect those woods, and he's the main reason Harrowick Woods are so weird to begin with. He was probably going to town on some poachers or something. Jack babe, don't tell us stories about the woods. She has to live out here now, Alice reminded him. They're not just stories though. There's a real hedge witch living in those woods. 
We've both seen her, he claimed. A witch? I asked, wondering if there might have been a connection to the witch's Sabbath from my vision. No, don't listen to him. She's not a witch, she assured me. We are walking on trails sometimes, and once we cross paths with a woman with a cloak and a witchy-looking walking stick, but that's it. But she's not a witch. She's just one of the hippie chicks that hangs out at the New Age place in town. And she's definitely not living out there. That's ridiculous. We're not the only ones who have seen her, though, Jack insisted. She's a regular on the trails, and some other regulars have seen her do weird stuff, like tracing out the sigils on the trees, hanging charms off the branches, or wandering off the trail and just never coming back. A group of dude bros from Avalon College, and one of them catcalled her, and all she did was tap her stump to the ground, and some invisible poltergeist came out of nowhere and drove them all out screaming like toddlers. She can summon and command the dead, talk to animals, and she definitely has a hovel deep in those woods somewhere. Some real Blair Witch shit. Lottie, I've been living across from those woods my entire life. There's no green men, no ghosts, and no witches in them. Alice swore, rolling her eyes at Jack's juvenile attempt to scare me. Then can we go hiking there today? I asked hopefully. I knew it was kind of silly, and that any similarities between my vision and local folklore were probably just a coincidence. But I figured it would be healthier than sitting around, drinking beer all day. Oh my god, yes! We haven't been out there since last fall! Alice agreed excitedly, pulling out her phone. Let me just check to see if the trails are open during the lockdown and we'll go. As fate would have it, the trails were open. I didn't have hiking boots, but Alice insisted I take hers, saying that she could just piggyback on Jack anywhere there was rough terrain. She quickly threw together a backpack, grabbed three walking sticks from the shed that had been hand-carved by one of her neighbors, and we were off. It only took us a few minutes to walk to the woods themselves, and a few more minutes walking along its edge until we came to the first trail entrance, each of us putting a twoony in the donation box as we passed by. As soon as we were in, I was immediately struck by the overall atmosphere of the forest. Maybe it was just because there was so little traffic on the highway because of the lockdown, but even just a little way in, we couldn't hear anything of the outside world. It almost felt like the forest was just a little out of sync with the rest of reality. That it was older and more primeval. A place where humanity was at the mercy of nature and her servants. The 100 foot tall, century old trees towering over us certainly left me with the impression that we were under the watchful eye of mighty titans who wouldn't hesitate to punish any irreverence. These woods were so much prettier in the fall, but some of the leaves are starting to bud. So that's kind of cute. Alice remarked casually, apparently not sharing my sense of existential awe. How big is this forest? I asked, already losing all sense of direction and scale. Only about four square miles or ten square kilometers? Alice replied, hopping onto Jack's shoulders. Some of the trails are really winding though, and I think there's something like 40 miles of them, so they can make the whole place seem ten times bigger. That's why they tell beginners to stay off the deep trails, but you're with us so it's cool. Yeah, I said hesitantly, 
So, aside from that witch, have you guys ever seen anything weird in here? She wasn't a witch, Alice insisted. And no, there are no big predators here, so people just make up monsters to fill the void. We found giant deer tracks once, probably from the green man, Jack claimed. Yeah, like you know how to read tracks. Those could have been anything. Alice rolled her eyes. What about that Mothman lady looking thing that was perched up in the tree one time? He asked. We both saw her. Yeah, but neither of us got a good look at it. She retorted, though sounding a little less certain than before. It was just a big bird in poor lighting. Okay, what about the weird ruin thing that are on a lot of the trees like the one over there? He said, pointing over at a tree a little up ahead. I peered forward and saw that he was right. The tree has some form of magical sigil carved deep into its bark, and once I noticed it, I realized that it wasn't the only one. Trees all along the trail had similar markings, and now that I'd seen them, they caused the same sort of mental feelings and imagery in my mind that the howling had. It's a local tradition. Instead of hearts and initials, people around here carve those signs into trees. Don't ask me how it got started, but it's nothing to worry about. Alice tried to reassure me. I nodded acquiescently, but didn't say anything about all the strange vibes I was getting from the forest. We wandered the trails for another hour or so, eventually winding up somewhere pretty close to the middle of the forest. The weird sensations and imagery the woods were giving me hadn't gone away, but they hadn't gone any worse either, so I was starting to accept that it was all just a manifestation of my synesthesia. Jack, Jack, look! Alice shouted excitedly, still riding his shoulders without a complaint from him the whole time. I followed her finger to where she was pointing, but couldn't see what was getting her so worked up. She finally dismounted her boyfriend, grabbing him by the hand and dragging him off the trail, leaving me to chase after them if I didn't want to get left behind. We were 40 or 50 feet deep when Alice came to an abrupt halt in front of a circle of small, periwinkle mushrooms about seven feet across. Yes, first shrooms of the season. She cheered as she knelt down, plucked off a cap and popped it right into her mouth. Wait, shrooms? You're getting high now in the middle of a forest? I demanded indignantly. No worries, Lottie. We've done it before. Jack said as he sat down and took a cap for himself. Trip walking through this place is really cool. And these shrooms only grow wild in Harrowick County for some reason. You can't cultivate them and they won't grow anywhere else. You've got to try some. She insisted, handing me a cap. I sighed, accepting the offering but putting it in my pocket. Thank you, but I'm not getting high on shrooms I've never tried before when I'm out in the middle of a goddamn forest. I affirmed, stomping my foot a little. Can we please go back on trail, please? This is starting to freak me out a little. Well, actually, Jack and I kind of have a tradition of fucking in the fairy ring while we were waiting for the shrooms to kick in. <laughs> she admitted with a sheepish giggle, You've got to be kidding me. I said as I felt my face contort in a rictus of horror. Sorry, Lottie. She apologized while eagerly unbuckling Jack's jeans. You don't have to watch if you don't want to, though. Just go back on the trail and take a break on the first bench you find. We'll catch up, we promise. 
I sighed in frustration but didn't bother arguing with them. I knew that trying to talk them out of screwing was fruitless, so I stomped off back towards the trail. I'd almost made it too, before I heard screaming. It wasn't real screaming, just in my head, but I could still tell that it was coming from behind me. It was faint, distant, and most of all, pleading. Whoever was screaming had heard us, or at least sensed our presence and was calling for help. I did briefly consider that I had somehow accidentally ingested some of the psilocybin from the mushrooms, but the scream was the same kind of sensory association that I had been getting from the forest the entire time I'd been inside of it, so I knew I wasn't tripping. Now, I'll admit that running off into the forest chasing phantom screams wasn't the smartest thing I ever did. At the very least, I should have gotten Jack and Alice to come with me, but the screams were just so desperate. They demanded immediate action, and I didn't have the fortitude to resist the impulse to answer them. Even though I was sure I was running towards the source of the screams, they weren't getting any louder. But because I knew the sound was in my head, I didn't really question that. I must have been over 200 meters from the trail when I finally came across something that made me stop. Standing in the middle of the forest was a pair of cobblestone pillars with a metal arch over them, bearing the word cemetery. That was weird enough in and of itself, but what was even stranger was the imagery the gate was giving me. In my mind, I saw it as a set of onyx pillars, taller than any of the surrounding trees, carved with starving, virtually mummified figures in abject misery. Instead of a metal arch, the pillars support the statues of an enthroned king and queen, which I automatically interpreted as Hades and Persephone, without anything making that explicit. The gate itself was a thick, glowing fog, radiating out a sense of hopelessness and terror that I was paralyzed, unable to move towards or away from it. The screaming continued, now clearly coming from the gate itself. As desperate as they were, they weren't enough to arouse me from my catatonic trance. Without warning, a black silhouette passed in front of the gate casting a long shadow that fell upon me that seemed to eclipse all other light. The figure looked like some kind of demon woman, a pair of bat-like wings slowly flexing behind her, and I was immediately reminded of Jack's claims of having seen a winged female figure. I have never been more afraid than I was at that moment. That demon was the most literal monster I had ever encountered, and I had no idea what she meant to do with me. I quivered. I wimped, but I could not bring myself to fight or flee, not even when she started to move towards me. It was then that I heard a woman shouting, though I was far too frightened and fixated on the demon to catch what she was saying. A cloaked form suddenly interjected itself between me and the gateway, holding up a staff and shouting incomprehensible incantations at the demon. The demon recoiled slightly, pausing as if to consider if it was worth the fight. Apparently, I wasn't, and with a slight sneer, she retreated from view. The sound of screaming left my mind, along with the image of the gateway, leaving only the out-of-place cemetery gate in its place. The cloaked figure spun to face me, and I saw a fair-skinned woman with warm brown eyes and long, beautiful red hair. Her staff was carved with the same sigils that I had seen on the trees, topped with a crescent moon and crystal chain. 
and a pentagram talisman hung prominently from around her neck. She was, beyond a doubt, the hedge witch that Jack and Alice and others had seen, and I had just watched her vanquish some kind of demonic hellspawn with nothing more than a glamoured-out walking stick. I then, perhaps understandably, fainted. When I awoke, I was lying upon a lawn chair near the back end of a small cemetery, with the woman sitting beside me and looking down at me with a mix of concern and joyful curiosity. Are you alright? She asked, offering me a cup of water. Where are we? How long was I out? I asked, as I bolted upright, looking around the cemetery in confusion. Barely a minute, and not even a hundred feet from the archway. You're still in the Harrowick Woods. She assured me. I opened my mouth to object, but I caught myself. I was still getting the same eerie vibes from the cemetery as I had from the rest of the forest. If anything, they were stronger here. The archway. I saw, I saw some kind of demon woman in it. I muttered as I blushed from embarrassment, the sentence sounding ridiculous as it left my lips. She was an Erinyes. A fury. She nodded. The archway is a spirit portal to the astral plane specifically the underworld, and she was trying to lure you to her. They can only cross over to our world at certain times or if they're summoned. You must be a very powerful clairvoyant to have seen the portal's astral form. When I first found it, I could only sense its chthonic nature, not see it. Huh? I ask dumbly. I'm not... Can you see him? She cut me off, pointing towards a man with a long coat and a stern gaze, keeping a close eye on me from a respectful distance. He was also, I couldn't help but notice, translucent with a pale blue tinge to him. Jesus Christ, is that a ghost? He's my spirit familiar, yes. And he's not physically projecting himself right now. So you are definitely clairvoyant. She grinned. This cemetery was hallowed centuries ago, so that most people can't perceive it. Or if they do, they can't remember it. I have a feeling you'll remember it though. I'm Samantha, by the way. And my familiar's name is... A long-haired brown tabby suddenly leapt into her lap, meowing as if she had just said something gravely offensive. I'm sorry, my spirit's familiar's name is Elam. This is my animal familiar, Moxley, she said as she scratched him on the head. He plopped down and started purring, seemingly appeased for the moment. And what's your name, sister? Oh, uh, well, Charlotte or L Lottie, if you like. I stammered, still looking around the cemetery in confusion. I only then noticed that we were right beside a camping trailer with an enclosed awning, solar panels along the roof, and an expansive garden and homemade greenhouse. Oh my god, you live here? You actually live here? Absolutely. I love it out here. It's quiet. Beautiful, 
and full of magic. She smiled. Isn't that what brought you out here? I think so. I answered pathetically. I heard someone howling out here last night and it gave me this vision like nothing I've ever experienced before. I came here to see if it meant anything and ever since I stepped foot in here, I've been getting these powerful spiritual vibes. Uh, it wasn't you howling, was it? Not unless I howled in my sleep. She smirked. These woods are under the protection of a spirit most people call the Green Man. And I suppose he's technically my landlord. If the howling gave you visions, then I'd say that was him calling out to you. He probably sensed your presence and thought it would be a good idea to send you in my direction. Huh, yeah. My friend's boyfriend Jack said it was the green man, but it's nice to get a second expert opinion. I said. Jack? Jack? Ashbourne? She asked with a raised eyebrow. Shirtless guy? Thinks he's a rock star? Drives a Mustang with tasteless nudes painted on it. Uh, yes, to one and two, but I kind of like the artwork on his car. I admitted. You know him? Yes, and he knows me. He's my girlfriend's half-brother. She replied, sounding a little annoyed. He didn't mention me when you were talking about this forest. He said there was a hedge witch living out here, and, well, he seemed to like talking about you like you were Bigfoot. I told her hesitantly. She looked a little angry and a little hurt, but seemed to be making an effort to keep her composure. He's nearby, isn't he? She asked, looking towards the forest, a sudden grimace swept across her face, and I knew that she knew that Jack and Alice were screwing. Ellen, she commanded, hanging her head and clasping the bridge of her nose in frustration. The ghost didn't need any further instruction, immediately darting off into the woods. Seconds later, I heard both Jack and Alice screaming in terror. He's not hurting them. They'll be fine. They'll probably just write the whole thing off as a bad trip. Suddenly, she stood up and shouted, Those are entheogenic mushrooms, Jack. They're not for recreational use. She sat back down, looking exasperated, and I hurriedly reached for the cap I had in my pocket and offered it to her. No, you're fine. Keep it. You might actually get some use out of it. She said. She then reached into her own pocket and pulled out a business card. I won't keep you here any longer. I'm sure you want to catch up with your friends and make sure they're alright. But if you're interested in learning more about all of this, or in honing your clairvoyance, I work at Eve's Eden of Esoterica in Sombermore. We can schedule a remote session and you can come to visit us after the lockdown's over. Genevieve and I will be more than happy to help you. Thank you, I said as I gently accepted the card. And thank you for saving me from the archway. Don't mention it, and I mean that. Thinking and speaking of spirits does have a tendency to draw their attention. She smirked, swallowing anxiously. I nodded graciously and ran off back towards the trail, 
taking care to avoid the arch as I did so. The cemetery became lost in the trees behind me far quicker than it logically should have, but I didn't forget it though, or Samantha. Ilan the ghost was kind enough to point me in the direction Jack and Ellis had run off. They were scared and stoned, but otherwise okay. I didn't tell them what happened to me, just scolded them for tripping on mushrooms out in the middle of the woods. Alice accepted that her encounter with Elam was just a bad trip pretty easily, but Samantha was telling the truth about Jack. He knows her, and he knows that was her spirit familiar, so hopefully he'll think twice about spreading urban legends about her again. I went online to see if I could find out any more about her and, well, oh boy. I've stumbled into something way bigger than just some creepy going-ons in the woods, and I need to know more. I have all of Samantha's contact information from the business card she gave me, and I'm going to try and keep in touch with her. I couldn't help but smile when I saw that her last name was Sumner. A very fitting name for someone who can summon spirits and fend off the damned. Like I said at the beginning, sometimes a name says a lot about a person. Well, mates, I hope you enjoyed your two poems and two creepy tales. I had a blast narrating these, especially, of course, the two poems by my supporters. Thanks again, T-Time Drinker 1 and Paige Kramer for sending your poems through, and I'm looking forward to any more you send my way. And the last two tales were definitely unique. I actually think our protagonist in the first tale would have survived compared to his pals, because who is going to think of checking those VR pods, right? He might just get lucky enough to avoid all danger as a result. Hell, I'd actually try and find a way to manually override the mechanism that closes those pods so as to jam it from the inside. What would you have done? And the last tale about the witch? Nothing like a self-discovery tale and one that saw our protagonist coming up against a fury, no less. Sheesh. Thank all of you for listening, mates. If you have two seconds spare, subscribe so you can get three episodes a week from me. And if you have ten seconds spare, leave an iTunes review to direct other like-minded champions like yourself to this podcast. Lastly, if you love what I do and want to help the show improve and grow, visit my Patreon page and support me directly at www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. Now, it's time to thank the legends that keep this podcast going and growing, my Patreons. First up is my Ode Knight T Titan, the shining star that literally keeps this podcast lights a-going and a-growing. Thank you so much, Maya, the Queen of Cats, for supporting me in the way you do. I'm currently squirreling away and swapping my old website host to a new one. Gonna take a bit of time, but totally worth it. And thanks to your donations, I've been able to make these calls super easy and quickly. And finally have access to 24-7 support from my website host, which means I can fix it any time of the day or night. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maya. You are a legend. And my first white tea warlord, Lesasaurus Rex, mate, thanks to you, I've been able to use your support to smooth over any hitches or kinks in the website transference, which means I shouldn't, in theory, experience any or at least very little downtime from the website swapping host hands. My goal here is to ensure that there's minimal or no downtime at all, and I'm using services coupled with my own skill set to ensure it takes place properly. I have over 650 episodes that I don't want to just up and vanish, as you can understand. Cheers, Lesa. You're freaking awesome. And my second white tea warlord, Paige Kramer, you superstar. What a marvelous poem, mate. I loved it. Looking forward to more stories you send my way, and your support is also 
helping to back up my website and ensure that if everything goes south for some reason, I'll have a website to fall back on. Thank you, Paige. You're a legend as well, and I'll be responding to your email this weekend coming. Greatly appreciate your support. And that goes for all of my Patreon supporters and listeners who have sent their emails to me over the past week and a half. I've been crazy at work, so I haven't had a chance to sit down and properly respond. And I don't give 50% when it comes to communicating back to you guys and gals. So this weekend, that's where it's at. And my ill-grain forces the liquid lava of awesome that pumps through this podcast veins I am lucky to have. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, thank you for your email Andy, Peter Affili, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, T-Tone Rinker One, thank you so much for your poem, it was awesome, and divided by zero. Thank you all for being so brilliant. If you have a pal who'd like to listen to something different, or they are exceptionally bored, send me their way and I'll fight those boredom demons for them. Mates, thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend. I'll catch you Monday for some more Sherlock Holmes, and Wednesday and Friday for more stories of all kinds. As always, mates, till next we meet.